Lord, we are so grateful on this Mother's Day, this Lord's Day, for your word, for um, just what a gift you give to us. And Lord, I just pray that uh, Spirit of God, you would just really help us right now. You would illuminate these words, that you would make this, this text come alive, God, in only the ways that you can, God. And Lord, on a, on a day like today, there's, there's so many things going on, there's so many thoughts whirling in our head, some good, some hard. I pray, God, that right now we would be able to rest in you. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And I pray right now that we would just have this posture of resting in your word. And that as we rest in it, that it would do its work. Whatever work you have, God, we submit to it. I pray that you would come alongside, that we would have a mindset right now in this moment to learn, to grow. I pray that you would reveal blind spots. And I pray, God, that as we walk out, we would walk out having taken one more step in the formative process that you have in our hearts. Jesus, we know you change everything. We are so grateful for the way that you're changing us. Continue to do your work in this time. We love you. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are in the... Last section of part one of our Romans series, for the rest of the year, we're slowly working our way through the book of Romans, looking at all the different pieces of Romans, and we've been in the first three chapters of Romans over the last four messages, and in particular, focusing in with Paul on sin, on our struggle and our, and our, our battle and the reality of sin. As I was looking at this text and thinking about it this day, I was reading in a book and I, and I saw this, uh, this comic that I think highlighted some of maybe the tension that I think we feel when we, when we talk about sin or, or, or our need to change. It's been said that we live in a day, we live in a time where the individual, who you are, how you're designed, how, you're, how, you, how you live today is, is incredibly important and elevated to a fact that the message that you need to change, the message that there may be something wrong with you causes us to squirm a little bit. There's this comic, one of my favorite uh, comic books uh, or comics um, is uh, Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, I love this one comic. He says this. He says, resolutions, me? Just what are you implying? That I need to change? Well, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect the way I am. Can you feel that a little bit? This morning as we look at Romans, I believe Paul is addressing some of these challenges that we have. And in particular, he's writing to the early church and, and coming on the heels of chapter two when he's been writing to the early Jewish church and who are being challenged in their understanding of the law 
and their understanding of this new covenant that God has called them into. It seems to me, as I've been studying these first eight verses and, and, and the rest of chapter, uh, the, the following verses, it seems to me that Paul lays out this argument because there's this attack on grace. There's this attack on grace where they're saying, we don't need grace, or, or, or they're, they're pushing back. Paul is anticipating the church pushing back and saying, we need the law, we need to earn, and he's, and he's, and he's defending grace with what I would say is two truths and a lie. Anybody here ever played that game, two truths and a lie? You sit in a circle, it's a great icebreaker. If you've ever been in youth group or camp, uh, it, it's a fun game where, where you share two truths and a lie. You say, you, say, you say three statements, and then everyone has to guess what they are. So, for example, this last week, with my, my son Jude uh, turned 10, and we have a family tradition. Whenever our kids turn 10, mom and dad take them away somewhere that we can drive for a couple nights away, just the three of us. So Jude wanted to go to Disneyland. And mama made it happen. So we went to Disneyland, and I have three truths, two truths and a lie about Disneyland that I want to share with you to get you a little bit, um, to understand a little bit of this game. So here's how it is. First, Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. That's the first one. Second, hot tubs are better than fireworks. Third, Pastor Logan loves everyone. <laughs> now you have to maybe right now try to think about which one of those is a lie. One of them is. And over the course of this sermon, we'll get into all of those. With that said, as we look at this text, I believe Paul is giving us very explicit, he doesn't ask us to guess what the two truths and a lie are. He actually gets right after these truths and a lie. And the first truth is this. As he's responding to these Jewish Christians, these people that are struggling with the law, that are, that are saying, hey, you can't just all of a sudden say that like, there's this grace thing and everybody can get it. All you have to do is believe. They're saying, like, like they're, they're struggling with this. And his first point is there's this truth. And this is the truth. He says this, God is faithful in spite of your unfaithfulness. Can you change that? It's, it's in, in spite of your unfaithfulness, not in spite of your faithfulness. God is faithful in spite of your unfaithfulness. See, the church, he's anticipating, Paul is writing to the church, he's writing about this beautiful, wonderful gospel that he is unashamed of, and and, and there's this attack on grace. And the attack is regarded to the faithfulness of God. We see this in verse three. Look at what Paul says. It says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithful, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Does their faithlessness nullify their faithfulness, the faithfulness of God? Paul goes on, he says, by no means let God be true Though everyone were a liar, as it is written, and he quotes Psalm 51, though, though, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And, and, and right here, he's saying, as the people are telling their story, they're saying, so, so does that mean that whenever we are unfaithful, that God therefore must be unfaithful? Whenever we are faithless, that God is unfaithful? And he's saying, no. 
In essence, God is always going to be God in spite of you. And he's saying this is a, a doctrinal truth. This is a, a theological truth about who God is. And we must understand that, that the grace of God is predicated on his faithfulness. That God doesn't change. One of the commentaries referenced there's this, this passage in Nehemiah when Nehemiah is, is talking to, to the, the Jews, and this was in a time of exile. The people have been, have been in exile. They're coming back. They've been, they've been, they have been unfaithful to God, yet God has continued to pursue them and is bringing them back. And Nehemiah says this. He says, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant who keeps covenant, that's that's, that's who keeps his promises, his vows to you, and his steadfast love. Let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us. As they're thinking about all the ways that, that they have, all the things that they have gone through because of their faithlessness, it says upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous, speaking of God, in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. This confession of faith that even in God's righteous correction and discipline, that's a sign of his faithfulness. God is faithful First truth, God is faithful when we are faithless. You can count on that. That's a confession of our faith. Second, God is righteous in spite of your unrighteousness. God is righteous in spite of your unrighteousness. If you would like to go down a wonderful, rich theological journey, I would encourage you to do a word study on the word righteousness in the scriptures. The word righteousness is much more than just being good. It actually relates to justice. It actually relates to doing right. And here, Paul here is writing about God's righteousness, the fact that he is the righteous judge, and therefore he must act justly and righteously in spite of our unrighteousness. Look at what it says here in verses five and six. It says this. If our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? There's this, he's anticipating this argument. They're saying, well, it's kind of good that we're unrighteous righteous, because that shows the righteousness of God. He says, I speak in a human way. Just a little dig. Just a little like, really? By no means, notice that exclamation point. Paul is, is urging the church, don't fall into this trap, this rhetoric. He says, for then how could God judge the world? We want a righteous judge. We want a God who, who deals justly and righteously with evil. We want the one who is above us, the one who is in control, to be righteous. One of the words that I hear oftentimes in my household is, it's not fair. Anyone ever hear that or is it just me? Okay, okay. 
And Paul here is saying, no, God is so fair. He is so righteous. And we just need a proper perspective that God is the righteous judge here. There's an allusion back to this this moment in Genesis uh, when Abraham is having these interactions with this place called Sodom. It was, a, it was a city full of sin, full of evil, full of just darkness. And God tells Abraham, he says, you know what, I'm going to judge that. I'm the righteous judge, I'm gonna deal with that. And Abraham has this interaction in his prayer where he's pleading with God to save Sodom, to have mercy on Sodom. And he says this, he says, far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And we believe God does. We believe that his judgment is always just and right and true. And so we have these two truths. God is faithful in spite of your faithlessness, and God is righteous in spite of your unrighteousness, and then here's the lie. Grace gives you license to sin. Remember, this is an attack on grace. The people are trying to say, why should we, why should we believe in this covenant of grace that God just gives this to us? They're saying, how could this be? How could he be righteous? How could he be faithful? And why not just sin then? Look at verses seven and eight. It says this. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, And Paul just has four words in response to this. He doesn't even get into much rhetoric or much much defense. He just says, their condemnation is just. I almost picture him being like, really? Later on in chapter six, he's gonna actually dig more into this argument that why not sin so that grace may abound? But here he's just saying, these folks, these people that just think like, like, well, why don't I just have license to sin so that God's grace will have its way? And Paul is is just saying like, well, there's something wrong deeply within you. You haven't actually received the very grace of God because the grace of God is not going to give you that attitude. The grace of God is going to cause you, it's going to change everything in you so that you have a desire not to sin. We're gonna see this in the rest of Romans as we read through this and Paul unpacks this. He is preaching and speaking to a church and he's just saying, don't miss the grace. Don't miss it. And it seems to me that there's this gospel implication that flows out of these two truths and a lie. He's, he's responding to these attacks against grace, and then, he, and then he's sharing this implication, and this is the implication. In a life without grace, if you live d- with just thinking that you can earn, everyone stinks and everything is exposed. In a life without grace, everyone stinks and everything is exposed. Amen. Everyone stinks. 
verses nine through 18. Now, I'm not literally talking about an actual, like, physical stinkiness, okay? I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about the problem of our struggle, the problem of our wandering from God. And Paul here, in light of these two truths and a lie, he goes straight into this implication to say, if you want to live under the law or if you want to deny these things and live outside of his grace, you're gonna fall into this space where everyone stinks and everything is exposed. Look at what he says in verse nine and following. I'm gonna read through it pretty quick here. It's a very familiar passage. I use it oftentimes as we talk about sin. It's a foundational piece to our theology. It says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? What are we for? (laughs) No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, all people, are under sin, as it is written. And now he's quoting six different passages in the Old Testament from Psalms and Isaiah, and he's just grabbing on to the story of the Old Testament and showing how it all points to this struggle. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. His all have turned aside, together they have become, what, worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Everyone stinks. This is the reality. One of the commentators, Douglas Boo, who's one of my favorite commentaries, commentators on Romans, he wrote this. It's a longer quote, but I'd like you if you could stay with me. I think he, he's getting after this reality here. He says, Paul understanding is that all people, Jews as well as Gentiles, were not just sinners, but helpless pawns under sin's power. This distinguished him, Paul, sharply from his Jewish contemporaries. Nothing that Paul had said suggests that there are exceptions to this rule. And nothing shows more clearly the desperate need for the message of the gospel. For the problem with people is not just that they commit sins. Their problem is that they are enslaved to sin. What is needed, therefore, is a new power to break in and set people free from sin. A power found in and only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we call this power grace. This is what is needed. And there's this reality that everyone stinks, but also that everything is exposed. He goes on, because there may be some people that think, well, I don't think I stink that bad. I think I'm doing okay. I think, I think I might be good enough. I think if I measure myself against that guy, I think if I measure myself against, I think I'm in a good percentile. And Paul says, 
And he, remember, he's writing to the religious folks, the people who have studied the Torah, the people who know the law, the people who have, have spent every day meditating, memorizing the ways of God. Not just the Ten Commandments, that's the foundational piece, but all of his law. And he says this in verses 19 and following, he says this. He did not weaken, well, that's chapter four, verses 19 and following here. Now we know that whatever the law says, this is talking about the Old Testament, the Torah, Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. This is the people of the covenant, the people that God has chosen. He's given them the law to live in relationship with him so that every mouth may be stopped, everyone may be silenced, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since then, through the law comes knowledge of sin." In theology class, you'll understand this is the the first work of the law. What the law does is it exposes our sin. If we're honest about what the law says, and we truly are honest, we recognize that within each of us, we fall short. Everyone stinks and everything's exposed. Hear this, though, apart from grace. Don't miss that. Apart from grace. This is paramount to Paul's argument here. It seems to me that this is the message of Scripture. And it's not just Paul. Jesus, in his great Sermon on the Mount, the sermon about the kingdom of God, the sermon where where he, he said, maybe you think you're doing it okay. Maybe you think, oh, you know what, I haven't committed adultery. He says, well, if you've lusted after a woman, you're committing adultery. Maybe you think, well, I've never, I've never killed anybody. Jesus says, well, if you've been angry towards somebody, you're a murderer. And then he sums up his whole sermon on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, I came to, not to abolish the law. I didn't come to throw out the Old Testament. He says, I came to complete it. And he says, you therefore, talking to his disciples, must be what? Perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Any perfect people here? Okay, good. I'm happy we're having an honest moment. Maybe you're just too tired from all the pancakes. I don't know. (laughs) But the gospel tells us this. There's this gospel practice that I believe is paramount to our walk, and it's this. Your only defense for sin is God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Your only defense for sin is God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Your try harder living, works righteousness, self-righteousness, just thinking, I can do it, I can, if I just put my mind to it, I can be perfect someday. No, the gospel says that we are, that we're front-loaded with grace. This is, this is grace, and grace is, is, is it's something that God gives us. It's something that God gives us. This last week at Disneyland, I, uh, we were in line with this uh, ride um, that I will never go on again <laughs> called Autopia. And the line thing that I believe to be true said it would be a 20-minute wait 
So I was like, yeah, that was a lie. A lie from the pit of hell. And we got in line, and we were getting close to what I thought was the end of the line, and we're having a great day, we're, we, 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 you know, just a great time together, and then all of a sudden, like at this ride, there's like this tunnel that you're supposed to go in. I thought we were towards the beginning of the line, but it's deceptive. There's another hour of waiting. And I remember in that moment, just starting to develop um, this righteous anger. But I remember in that moment, and Brianna could feel it, I think Jude could feel it, I started to just um, no longer be the guy that loves everybody. <laughs> like I think if I had the opportunity, I probably could have gotten in a fist fight with the first person, because I was just so frustrated and so upset. And as I looked at the crowd, I didn't see people. I saw people that were causing me to be wait in line for a really long time. I saw obstacles. <laughs> and then this week, I, uh, I, I uh, was in a cohort and they're looking at the compassion of Jesus. And I remember very vividly, it says, and when Jesus is walking, it said that he saw a crowd. And what did he, what, the, what happened to Jesus? And he saw a hungry crowd that he needed to feed. And it said that he had compassion on them. I thought about that. I realized, oh man, Jesus needs to do some work in me. If, I find, if I'm being coming like him, I, I need to develop this compassion like Christ. And I think as we think about the grace of God, the first piece I'd like you to walk out with on this Mother's Day is this. You need to receive it. Don't earn it. You need to receive it. Hear this. Grace isn't cheap. It's free. Grace isn't cheap. It's free. It's not something you buy with your self-righteous works or your earning. It's something that God gives to you. And for some of us, we think, I gotta earn it first. I need to get like maybe three or four weeks of going to church in a row before I can really call myself like a Christian. I need to finish at least one of those reading plans Pastor Logan talks about first. I need, I, I need, I need to pray at, you know, uh, every morning. I need to have a better quiet time. I need to do more good things. And we're totally missing the fact that it is grace that does that in you. We believe Jesus changes everything. And for some of us, we need to receive. And the way Christians receive is to believe is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that his presence and his power in my life truly does change everything. And I would encourage you to receive this. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite books, he wrote this small little book called All of Grace. He wrote this about the power of the gospel. He said this, 
The Lord knows right well that you cannot change your own heart. And you cannot cleanse your own nature. But he also knows that he can do both. Hear this and be astonished. He can create you a second time. He can cause you to be born again. This is a miracle of grace. But the Holy Ghost will perform it. Receive this. It says later on, Romans, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. And I would say you will be changed. Second, don't just receive it. Trust it. Trust it. Hear this. Grace isn't cheap, it's free, but grace also has a cost. And Jesus paid it all. This is why The cross is central to our faith because we believe the response of Christ himself, our righteous lamb, our king who died on a cross for our sins took on our unrighteousness so that we could become righteous, that we trust in that. And this is this message that Paul is speaking. And he's saying, Don't, when you trust it, trust in the faithfulness of God. You will have faithless days, but God is faithful. And imagine this, picture this. He's writing to the Jews. He's writing, if you read the Old Testament story, it is a story of the faithfulness of God, right? You see Abraham and, and God's faithfulness to him and the way that Abraham tries to, 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 to mess with things and God continues to be faithful. You see with King David, you see his sin, his adultery, his turning, and God continues to be faithful. You see time and time again with the, with, with, with the prophets, with the, with, with the exile, God is being faithful and then we see it beautifully in Christ himself. And part of trusting in the grace of God is that God in his sovereignty, in his transcendent, as he looks at you, as he looks at you, he sees potential. He sees his image bearer and he sees purpose. Part of trusting it is not just sitting in on your hands and saying, I'm just gonna let God do it. No, God in his faithfulness calls his people in light of our receiving his grace to do his work. Martin Luther says, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a crooked stick. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. This is the beauty of the gospel, that God uses instruments, vessels like us, people in need of grace, to do his work. And he's calling us to trust in his grace, to receive it, to believe that it's doing a work in us, in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. Receive it, trust it, And third, rest in it. Grace is the happiest place on earth. Hate to break it to you, friends, Disneyland is not. (laughs) Caveat, 
if you are in the grace of, of God, if you are in Christ and you are in Disneyland, it becomes the happiest place on earth, I believe. As we trust in his grace, we believe that God is working and God is moving and God is having his way in us. And I just think for some of us, we don't truly rest in God's grace. There's, there's ways that we've sinned against God. There's things that we've done. There's things from our past. There's even struggles right now that we have, and we just think, I'm just not good enough. That attitude, my friend, is, make, is, is, is an attitude of cheap grace. And you need to turn that in for free grace. You need to turn that in for the grace of our resurrected king who died on a cross, who has hand, who has scars on his hands from the price that he paid for your freedom and your liberty. And you gotta rest in it. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. So what are my two truths then a lie? Is Disneyland the happiest place on earth? That's the lie. Are hot tubs better than fireworks? Absolutely, when you've been walking all day. <laughs> Make sure you go and soak yourself in the hot tub. Pro tip. Does Pastor Logan love everybody? Not by myself. <laughs> but my confession of faith is that by Christ and his work in me, he's doing a thing in me where I must believe that I'm called to love everybody. So that's my confession of faith, that I'm called to love everybody. Do I practice that perfectly? No. And my prayer for you is that you, on this Mother's Day, would receive grace, would trust in grace, and what's the third one? Rest in grace, thank you. I pray that you would live this out. In a few moments, we're gonna sing a song called Great Is Thy Faithfulness. It's a great hymn that we've been singing for hundreds of years, I believe. It's a, it's a song that quotes Lamentations 3 that just states the faithfulness of God. One of my favorite moments or one of my favorite words is morning by morning new mercies I see. We believe that every day as the sun rises that that is the very grace of God. And that as Christians, as image bearers of God, we've been called to confess our faith. And I would encourage you, receiving God's grace is not a one-time thing, it's a lifestyle. To believe that every morning, every moment, I, I just live in his grace and I trust in his grace that in spite of my struggles, in spite of the ways that I lash out, in spite of my own flesh want and the, the wrestling that I, go, that I got going on, that God in his sovereignty is gonna use me, this crooked stick, for his straight lines. And so therefore I rest in it, knowing that it is his work that is doing it and not mine. Don't miss the invitation, my friend. And the best way we could respond right now is to sing of it. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God.
we are so grateful for your grace. We are so grateful for this reminder, Lord, from Paul, that, that your gospel is a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of works. It's not, it's not a gospel of, of earning. It's a gospel that you paid it all. All to you I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but you washed me white as snow. Lord, I pray right now in this moment that as we sing of this wonderful hymn together, God, I pray, God, that this would just be a moment of us receiving your grace, of us confessing and trusting in your grace and us resting in your grace, Lord. I pray, God, that your sovereignty would be a sweet pillow that we could rest in. And we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You rise and sing with us. Thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, may fill not as Thou hast filled Thou
Amen. Church, as you walk out, perhaps there's some stuff that's been stirring up in you. And I want you to know, we have a praying team down here. They would love to pray with you. Perhaps you just need to rest in God's grace or receive God's grace. Perhaps you've never done that and you just need to confess your faith in Jesus. They would love to pray with you that right now. And as you walk out, my prayer is that that song would continue to reverberate in your head. There's a Dutch word that I've learned this week. I'm gonna try it. It relates to the rest of God. I'll see if anyone understands it. Gesselig. Gesselig. And from what I understand, I probably butchered the word, but the word is this special Dutch word that relates to the pleasant, intimate, snug, and homey feeling. And my prayer is that you would live in that because of the faithfulness of God. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that will guard your hearts, guard your minds in Christ Jesus. And in faith we confess his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Grace and peace.